Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with another episode that I'm sure is going to have impact on your life and hopefully on your sales skills if you are someone in sales. Today on the show, we have Mr. Riley Meek. Riley, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? What's up? What's up, Dream Nation? Man, it's a pleasure to have you here. So I always like to think of entrepreneurs and change makers as superheroes. And the reason why is because we're constantly putting on capes and we're flying around the world and we're trying to solve problems, whether they're for ourselves or for other people, hopefully. And I think that this situation is no different, but I always like to make sure that we can give the proper context. So before you have been impacting the lives of thousands of salespeople, before you've been featured and, and being able to develop a system and a process that can help anyone with their relationship skills and also selling skills. Talk to me about if we could take it back when you were just a young boy. Tell me who is Riley Meek? <laughs> All right, man. I'd, when I was a young boy, it's a good, good question. I've given my story before, but just you mentioning that really reminds me of, I remember this, this unique time. I was eight years old and it's, it's funny now because my daughter's eight years old, but I remember I grew up in small, small town, South Dakota and uh, like literally less than a thousand people. So it's not like there was a, you know, a, a ton of opportunity or anything. At this time, I'd lived with my, my stepdad and my mom. I was eight. My folks had been divorced uh, for about three years. They got divorced when I was five. But I, I remember this unique time. I was walking down our driveway and for whatever reason and whatever your faith is of any sort, but I just felt like this immediate, like just this download. And I, I feel like I get these every now and then where it was just like, I just knew in my in my knower, like in my inner being, like I was going to do big things in this world. I was going to make a lot of money. And at eight, I didn't even, didn't even realize what that actually meant. Did you um, come, did your parents have money or did you come from like no money? Like were you, you know, exposed my dad, to money my, at an early age? Yeah. So it was unique. We had kind of ebbs and flows of it. My mom and dad were, you know, my dad, he delivered mail rural route as an independent contractor, never really made more than 30, 40 grand a year which in South Dakota, that's fine. My mom pretty much, you know, waited tables, was a you know, bartender, things like that. So we certainly weren't, you know, wealthy by any means. But my, when my mom had married my stepdad, my stepdad was an engineer. Um, he had a, a pretty profitable company. And during that time, it was like, yeah, I, 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 I had all the toys, like the go-kart and the trampoline, you know, all that fun stuff. So I kind of went through ebbs and flows of it, which ultimately my, my mom and stepdad did divorce when I was, uh, you know, in, in high school. And I think a unique time, you know, having gone through like a lot to a little, a lot to a little. And I, I remember this one time too, when my mom, when I, this would have been when I was like, you know, probably five or six years old when my parents were first divorcing and, and we had lived off and on kind of with my aunt. And I remember, I, I don't remember this, but my mom tells me the story of, of me asking her specifically, like, you know, mom, why, why are you and, and aunt, my aunt Chrissy, um, just kind of tired and crabby all the time. And I don't, again, I don't remember saying this, but she had mentioned this. I brought this up a while ago and she said, well, honey, it's because, you know, we have to work long hours and, uh, you know, we don't make a lot of money and it just, it takes a lot of work. And I, and, and what I said at that point to her was that, well, I'm going to just, I'm going to make a lot of money, mommy. And, and <laughs> again, I don't want this to sound like all about money or anything, but that was, you know, that a unique time my mom said, you know, what, what had happened there. Again, I don't have any recollection of that, but fast forward to when I'm eight years old and I had just like this kind of download that this is what I was going to do to where I am now. It's kind of interesting because 
you know, when I was 15 years of age, I'd, I'd actually moved down with my dad, a town about, a, you know, 30 miles from, from where I'd lived with my mom and stepdad. They had a better sports program. I wanted to go down there and, and, you know, my brother was a senior, I was a freshman. So I thought we would have kind of fun, you know, going through our you know, high school like that and being a part of a better um, athletic program. And when I was 15, I thought, you know, I should get a job. Not because my folks even asked me for it. It was just something that I just felt like I, I can, I'm well able that there's no reason that I can't contribute to the cool clothes and get the cool car. You know, you're in yeah. high school, you want to impress the girls, right? So, right. so I remember the only, the only real option there within this town was making pizzas at our local gas station. And this gas station was called the Humdinger. And a minimum wage at that time was $5.15 an hour. And so I took the job, thought, cool, you know, no big deal. I didn't know what the meaning of, you know, an hourly rate really meant. And when I did, I did my first eight hour shift. Uh, this was my, the first summer uh, that I had this job. I did one shift. And after that, I did the math in my head and I thought, there's no way in heck I'm ever doing that again. And, and it was like the first day on my job was the last day on my quote unquote job. And the reason why it was really what, what made me so upset during that time frame wasn't that somebody put that, that hourly rate, that wage on, you know, on, my, on the value of what I provide. It was more that I allowed that to happen because I knew I was, I was worth well more than 40 bucks for eight hours of time. And so, I, that, like I said, I quit and that was really my last quote unquote job. And that's when I really kind of seeked out different mentors and I read every book possible that I could find on personal development, sales, marketing. And I ended up finishing my, I moved up to Minnesota the summer of my sophomore and junior year and contemplated even, even staying here to you know, finish out my senior year. But you know, back in South Dakota, when there's like 18 kids on the football team, of course, I'm gonna, you know, I've got to be there, right? It's like right. your senior year. You got to be, you know, the, the athlete, the quarterback, the point guard, things like that. So right. I moved back and uh, finished my senior year. And literally the day that I graduated high school, I moved back up to the Twin Cities here, which is where we reside part time now. But and that's really when I my initial thought was to go to college, become a chiropractor. My, my brother in law was a chiropractor. And I love that. You know, I was really in the, the nutritional and kind of fitness world, I became a, a certified personal fitness trainer was retailing a ton of nutritional supplements at the time, upwards of over 10 grand a month in actually nutritional supplements. So I was making a decent coin and, and I had that realization of like, you know, I'm making pretty good money here. Why do I want to go to school for another, you know, six years, go $150,000 in debt and then have to build the business from scratch again, right? right? So I just continued kind of down that path and I had great, again, kind of ebbs and flows with income and different business opportunities that had had uh, come along my way, opportunities to open up new operations. One of them happened to be down in, in Mexico, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Yeah. I, and at this time, I'd actually, I had owned a, a fitness center, an Anytime Fitness franchise. I'm sure you've got those in, in Omaha, right? Oh, yeah, so we do. When I was 23, that's when I had bought my, my first kind of brick and mortar business. And I thought, this is going to be it, man. This is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, build out. I'm going to own multiple of these throughout the country. And dude, I tell you, I'd never worked so hard in my life and made so little mm. owning one of these fitness franchises. And nothing against that. It was just like the, the deal that I got myself in because I didn't know how to negotiate leases. And, and you know, have, I, I did have the, the person I bought it from hold a portion of the note. But I really put myself in a predicament where, you know, I had to have six, seven hundred members just to break even at this thing. And mm. we were putzing along at, you know, five to five fifty. So it was like, I'm constantly, you know, hustling to get more members, but the, there's so much competition in that space. And I, again, I, it was like working 5am there. I'm training clients. I'm there till 11, 12 at night, trying to keep the place clean because I couldn't afford to hire anybody. And I was just like, okay, this isn't it. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. So I, I certainly don't regret it at all, but I ended up finding a kind of an apprentice, we'll call it, who came in to, to take that club over that allowed me to take an opportunity of a new company opening up operations in Mexico. And so I ended up renting out, we had a condo here in the, in the Twin Cities. My wife was pregnant at the time. So I was like, I got to make some freaking money here. I got to provide for my family. Right. And went down to Mexico. Things were going great. Uh, we were crushing it. We were recruiting new reps, retailing product in five months into this. 
the, the government actually came in and closed all operations. Just the entire company had to close down operations in, in Mexico. So five months in, dude, catching a flight back to the cities, uh, the Twin Cities here. And not only was I pretty much broke, I'd invested everything that I, I had. I still had my fitness center, but that was bleeding. You know, I, there's no right. income there. And not to mention, I'd leased out my condo. So I was coming back. I was virtually homeless, right? Yeah. We, we found ourselves sleeping on my sister's couch. And uh, it, was a, it was a unique time in my life, dude. It's, it was Very like, I don't want to so. call it like my, well, I hope it was my rock bottom. I hope I don't ever get to that, that point again. Um, but it was, I was just on a quest at that point. And it was like, what am I going to do next? And I knew I couldn't go. I mean, I certainly could go work for somebody. There's never a point where I would, you know, be too prideful to do that. But I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, I wanted to be able to provide. I had bigger visions. And I was just on a quest looking for different opportunities. And, and dude, I came across this ad on Craigslist of all places. And it simply read, it was a very simple headline. It said, work three days a week and make 10,000 bucks. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, right right? Like, what am I doing? Dealing crack here? What am I doing? You know, three days a week, 10,000 bucks. So, but of course I had to inquire upon it, just the inquisitive nature. And, and I ended up getting on the phone with this dude and, and he started talking about doing these presentations to groups of people is it it the first kind of introduction of selling one to many versus one-on-one because everything that I had done from, you know, fitness sales to nutritional supplements to I've sold siding and windows and and business appraisal. I've done a lot of different things, but it was always just selling one-on-one. And it was, I would, I would take, and as much as I loved the idea of, you know, my, my earning ability was uncapped. They would always promote that, or it was uh, all up to me. I owned, I owned, I earned what I'm worth, right? I love that idea of it, but I never truly believed it because I knew my, my earning ability was capped by the amount of time in a day. Right? I could only do a certain amount of presentations, it depended upon what you're promoting or selling before you're just emotionally exhausted and you just can't, you know, you're, you just can't go on. You could just always sell higher ticket items to get a higher commission or you know, manage a sales team or, or something like that. But it wasn't like, I, I just knew that I, had, I needed to figure out a way to earn more. And when I went down to this presentation that this dude was doing, it was a couple hour drive. He invited me out and I walked into a room and it it completely blew my mind, man. It was like we were, I walked into the room. He had 20 to 25 people that were eagerly listening to him. He did a presentation. He fed them dinner. And then at the end, he simply said, for those that would like to to learn more about what he was, you know, um, promoting at the time, I've, I've scheduled out tomorrow only. And, and out of that, he ended up getting seven actual appointments for, to meet with people one-on-one. And so it blew my mind. I was like, this guy did one, one presentation. It was a rock star presentation, right? But a great presentation. What was he selling? Was it like timeshares or what was he selling? Dude, no, this is, you're going to love this. He was selling like radiant barrier, like insulation that you put in people's attics. Wow. Something you wouldn't even think of. And, and it was that's what blew my mind. Cause I was like, well, I'm not going to sell that crap. Like I don't, that's, I didn't, and I don't know anything about home remodeling or construction. My literally right. my, my wife hangs the pictures in my house. That's I'm the most mechanically. They look declined. good though. For anybody watching, they would agree. I mean, the, the symmetry <laughs> of everything, it looks good. It blends. It looks good. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's all my wife, man, for sure. Isn't me. So, but anyways, we, we, I ended up, I left that presentation on at a couple hour drive home and my wheels just kept spinning and turning and turning. And I, I couldn't believe that this, this is all this guy did. If he can do that in one presentation, you know, a couple hours, heck I'll do, I'll do five a week and meet with people. And, and that's when I, I realized the leverage of, of group selling, selling one to many, not only in time, but even in your marketing dollars as well. Hmm. And I started just to think like, what could we sell through this? And I took, I did take some of his ideas and, and threw in a, a couple of mine, added in like some LED lighting and, and just simple things that would make a home more energy, you know, energy conscious or just the, uh, the ability to save money on your utility bills. Right. And we did, within a few months, I ended up doing our first presentation. And at this time, dude, remember, I'm, I'm pretty much broke. So I, I remember so clearly I had 673 bucks in my bank account. And that was like, I, I, I invested with my credit card, 
right? And it was like, I'm going to fill these, these events and see what I can do. And it was kind of a do or die moment. Like I've, I've got to provide, remember my wife is pregnant at the time. And uh, I did my first presentation. We made a few sales. I took the profits from that and reinvested into the next event in the next event. And within that six months, man, this would have been in July of 2011. By, by the end of December, we did 2.1 million in sales. And uh, that's when I was like, all right, let's start, let's start recruiting. Let's start training some guys here. And, and that's what I did. And the next year we did 12 million. We did another 12 million. And that's when I realized we got a well-oiled machine here. Like what else could we sell through this? And I, I found another product we could sell. And that company, we did 5 million our first year. I found a different product that we could sell. And, and from now, whatever, it's 2020. So a, a nine years later, seven different companies within different industries, we've taken all of them to seven and even eight figures within the first year and generate over $100 million in sales now. So it's been wow. a pretty unique run, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds incredible. And we're definitely going to dive into all of that. The first thing I want to go back to is you said that, hey, you quit that first job of $5 and 15 cents an hour. And my thoughts on that was, what did your parents think? Because your parents, obviously they had to know upfront that you were taking this job. You're young, you're 15 years old. You're saying, I'm going to take a $5, 15 hour job. And then all of a sudden you come back, you say, this is not worth my time. I'm going to quit. But I'm sure that your dad and your mom who had worked very hard, especially being in the Midwest, what was their mindset on that? Yeah. You know, I don't think, I mean, I think one of the things that was unique about my folks and, and is, is they always let me kind of do my own thing, run my own race. And yeah, I could, I could make my decisions on my own, but I was going to suffer the consequences. Right. And, and from even like early on, if I want to go to a party in high school, you got, if you get caught, bud, you're, I'm not bailing you out for this thing. Right. And, and that's who they were. And I appreciate, I certainly appreciate that. To an extent, of course. Right. Um, so it wasn't anything that they were really, you know, upset about or gave me backlash about because I think they knew, you know, they think they knew who I who I am or or you know was in in that, you know, I had I had big visions even at a, at a young age. Yeah, you were um, so, pretty. You're a pretty good kid, right? You might make a couple mistakes here or there, but they had a lot of trust in you. Yeah, I think so, man. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not, I didn't really get into any trouble, any big trouble by any means. Maybe my dad had to come pick me up at a party or, but you know, no, no legal trouble or anything like that. So. And the reason why I ask and, and why I think that that's relevant is because nowadays, no matter who you are, if you have a younger brother, younger sister, or definitely if you have kids, kids nowadays, they're looking at things dissimilar to the way you did. And they're saying, hey, for $15 an hour, even 20 bucks an hour, I don't know that I necessarily want to do it for that because I feel like I can't allow myself to get paid that when some of my friends right now are playing YouTube and they're bringing in, you know, they have a Twitch account and then they're bringing in $10,000 a month or $15,000 a month. And so I think the takeaway from there is allow your kids to be who they are and just kind of have trust into them. And I think for parents, it's very tough to do that. And I know myself, I'm constantly asking myself, you know, cause my son is gravitating more, especially when he sees that I have the podcast and he sees my whole setup and he's, like man dad like and you, uh, you're just like ah but but you want to protect them because you're like listen there's levels to this so kudos to your parents i think that obviously it worked out for the best but it's because yeah. of the values that they they had in you early on yeah and i think i i, I completely agree with you because my daughter's eight how old are your your kids my son will be nine in july and my daughter will be three in november so right yeah, man. yeah yeah so it's i think the biggest thing is is a everybody has their own journey that they've got to go through. And uh, if, you know, hitting, for me, it was like, when I, when I came up here to Minnesota, I didn't, like, I had to, I had to figure out how to make money on my, on my own. I wasn't really given anything. And, and I appreciate that because mm -hmm. I think so many are, they have a trust fund or they've got a, something to fall back on. Could I have picked up the phone and called 911 to my mom or dad? Absolutely. Which I think was maybe assuring, I guess, but it wasn't like that. I think my pride maybe wasn't, would never allow me to do that, man. So it's like, and the same thing, even for my eight year old now, it's like, how do I, I'm reading so many books, like, okay, strong daughter or strong father, strong daughters. And they're, I'm like, okay, how do I parent this child? Because the world we live in right now is jacked. And it's like, how do we, I think the biggest thing is lead by example. Right. And yeah, Ellie, my daughter now, I think is going to have a lot of 
luxuries even and, and but we tell her that every single day like you know this is not normal that we're you know going to the 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 arcade every Friday or whatever. Like most kids don't get to do that stuff. Right. And we try to lead the best possible, you know, the best possible way that we can by not over, you know, spoiling her, but just making it un- making her understand that we are very blessed to, to have this and we need to be good stewards with, with what we have. I love it, man. We go through the same plights and the same challenges. And I think of many people will be able to relate to this. And especially if you're a new or, you know, aspiring entrepreneur at some point, if you put in the work and you build it on the right relationships, you'll be in that position where you do have to just figure out ways that you can lead by example, just like you said. So I'm glad that you brought that point up. To fast forward and and get back to where you are now, talk to me about what was the biggest struggle that you think you've had over these last 10 years? Because, you know, in the beginning, it was very rocky, but then you found your framework and we'll get into that. But then you started to really take off. But what was those things that we all have them, those one or two things that continuously pull us back that we're like, man, if we could have cracked this code a little bit sooner, it would have made our journey less volatile. Yeah, man, I think I think self-doubt is is the biggest struggle, which Ironically, I feel like I have more of it now than I did when I had nothing, right? Yeah. When I had 673 bucks in my bank account, there was no way in hell I'm, I'm not going to succeed. Like that was, I am, it's, there's no way I'm not making sales. There's no way I'm not going to continue to grow this thing because I had the, the vision that it was going to happen. And I think once I, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, I, I let off the gas and mm. I was like kind of coasting. I had things where things were great you know, built a beautiful home, life was good. Which was crazy because uh, we were even still coming out of a recession then, obviously of 2008, right. 2009. So we're still, okay. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's funny now, because right now as we're kind of entering one and it's like, I don't even remember. Yeah, I remember that away, but I was still, I, I, I actually remember I bought my, my first condo in 06, the highest peak of any, the dumbest time to ever buy. And I finally got rid of it last year for the same price that I bought it for in 2006. <laughs> but that being said, it was like, I don't even, the, I think the biggest thing was getting to the point where it's like, all right, cool, this is good, life's good. And then losing that fire, losing that drive, losing that, and, and dude, then I started, I, I started drinking a lot. I started just like, life was just, I'm just like letting it happen and, versus going and get it. And, and, you know, some of my businesses, you know, peaked and then they came down and I had to start another one peaked, came down. And for me, I think it's always has been about the thrill of the hunt. Mm. It's not like the, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be real transparent here, dude. Yeah. So I've, I got divorced from my first wife, Ellie, Ellie's mommy and I are, were separated. My wife now Ash is amazing, amazing stepmommy, but that all happened during this kind of ramp up. So 2000, we got married and when we get married, 2006, and uh, we divorced officially, you know, we, we separated 2012, but that was like during my peak, my ramp up, right? 2011, 2012. And it was just like, I would, there was no way that I was not going to let my business succeed at that time. And, and then I had to start another one and I had to start another one and I another one because I reached that pin- pinnacle and it's like, okay, I've checked the box. Now I can back off. And dude, I look back now and, and why I think my, my ex-wife and I are great friends now, as with my, my wife and her, like, go get their nails done together, because we made it all about Ellie. And we've realized that, like, during that time period, it was all about, like, I got married, I checked the box. And mm. it was like, I checked out from that, that time in my life. And what I, I mean, again, I was, I was there, I was present, but I wasn't present. Like, I was kind of, I was, I was a crappy husband. I wasn't providing to what I needed to you know, emotionally, what she needed emotionally, but I was getting everything I needed because I was building my next thing. Right. right? And then I was able to build the next one and the next one. And, you know, we've, I've come to that realization. And now that's, I think why we have such a great relationship um, because I've learned a lot about myself and who I am through this process. And so everybody's on a journey. We're still on a journey. And uh, I think having that realization or that awareness that allows you to be intentional intentional about your actions is the biggest thing that I've learned just through my journey up to this point. And who knows what will happen over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. 
And from what I gather, you know, is, is the fact that just like you said, you were just checking boxes. You weren't very mm -hmm. present. So it was more so living in the moment. And I respect you for saying that because I think a lot of, especially new entrepreneurs, they need to be hearing that because it becomes the thrill of the hunt and the thrill of the chase, just like you said. And once you get that success, and especially when you come from rock bottom and you can remember having nothing to now you have everything, it's easy to kind of start to coast. You know, because yeah. you've you've exerted a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And so I respect you for saying that. And hopefully somebody else takes heed to that. But let me ask, was your wife when you were first starting out and you were checking these boxes and having this success? Was your wife on board or do you feel like some of it contributed because you were an entrepreneur and, and you tasted the blood, but she necessarily wasn't? Yeah, dude. So my first wife, right? Yeah, your first wife. Yeah. yeah, so when you were first ramping up, she was on board, man. And this is she was extremely supportive, like literally anything you could imagine that you would want in a in a wife, and which wasn't what I needed at that time, really. And so it was like to the to the extent where I would come home from a day, and she would be like, "How was your day?" and want to talk about it. And if I had a bad day, I was like, "I already lived it once. I don't want to talk about it." You know, I was just a dick. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it was right. So she, she was great, and she was on board with where we were heading because she was. A, she, I mean, she's like a supporter. She was a very, you know, great partner in a, in a relationship that you would want. But it wasn't really what I was needing or desiring at that time in my life. Again, dude, I was twenty. We got engaged at nineteen. We were young and dumb. Right. And, you know, Understandable. It, it was just I'm a totally different human being as is she right now. But we have we still have that mutual respect and on you know just the journey that her she has been on and and I've you know been been on as well. Got it. And I and the reason why I asked that one is just because for a lot of people I know I've often gotten the question that people say, "Listen, I want to become an entrepreneur. I want to take these risks, but my spouse doesn't necessarily you know see it that way. My mm -hmm. my spouse thinks that we're gambling with our savings. My my spouse thinks that I should stay at this job where I'm working towards a pension. And so with trying, obviously everyone's different, and I think the intentions are always good. But if you're not on the same page, if both people don't understand that, yes, there's this minor setback in taking a risk. For a major come up that could that could sometimes contribute to the fallout, even though both sides had good intentions. And so that's why I was asking that just to, to kind of see if you felt that that had any, you know, uh, contributing factor to it. Yeah. And, and even to, to, to kind of piggyback on that now, when I hire our, our sales reps or even a new client that's like wants to become a new entrepreneur, because we deal with startups a lot that are looking for that. They need a, a source of leads and sales. Uh, that's one of my first questions is, how's your relationship? Like, is your wife on board with this or your husband on board with this? Because if they're not, and, and what we do, all of our sales reps, they travel usually two to three nights a week. They're on the road. Mm -hmm. And so that's my, my first question. And not only do I interview like our, my sales rep, but I, I'm going to hop on with the, with the, the spouse too, because I want to figure out like, are you, are you on board with this? Are you cool with, with them being gone two nights a week, three nights a week? Because yes. it takes a lot of sacrifice. It does on both, both ends, on both ends, being on the road, sleeping in a hotel room, things like that. It, it can be, you know, very lonely at times. And then being home, taking care of the kids or the house. And, you know, it can be very lonely at, at times too. So, but if you're, if you're on the same, same page with that, then great things can happen. You know, a lot of money can be made if that's your goal. But it, it's, it, it is crucial. If, you don't, if you're not on the same team, like it, this is a, a team effort here in any stage in, in the entrepreneurship world, you're going to struggle with, without a doubt. And um, I would always choose relationship over business. I love it. I love, do you think that there's a way you can balance it? Here's the thing. I don't really even like the word balance because if, if we say balance, that, that puts the picture in your mind that one's on one side and one's on the other, hmm. right? You're, you're balancing each other. This is more of, of, of working cohesively in a world where there's no balance. It is what it is. And, and it's a life, lifestyle that we have right now and, and live. And yeah, it may mean I got to work long hours, but the point of this, I'm going to work these long hours over the next two years so we can you know, live the life, start the family that we want, you know, year three or, or whatever the case is, whatever the goals and aspirations are. But absolutely, my wife and I are our prime example right now, dude. There's no way that I work every single day. Like I just, cause that's what I, drives me and fuels me. And she knows that. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm, I'm with her, I'm present and I'm there 
to be with her, to give her what she needs as well. I love it. We had a guest on the show. Her name was Tiffany Aliche, and she's the budget nista. And I'd asked her that question as well. And she gave me one of the best answers that I've ever heard. And she said, there's not a thing as balance, but more so harmony. You know, when you're talking about harmony, they work hand in hand together and and they start to flow, which is what you said as well. Um, Rather than just like you said, putting one because you're apart then and you're not working together. You got one side. And when you're trying to do balance, that means one side's got to go down. The other side's got to go up. And it's a lot of friction that way. So when you can do harmony, that just means you find a way to cohesively, as you said, work together. And, and I think as long as you have the right communication and the right expectations are set from the beginning, if both sides want to make that work and they understand, like you said, that you're living like no one else now. So you can and essentially live like no one else later in these next couple of years and build our family. That's what makes it work uh, that much better. So I think you put it pretty beautifully and, and I love it. Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. So let's fast forward. Now you've developed a framework and this happened in your, your first couple of years. You developed a framework. And talk to me about what is that framework and, and it's called social selling or is that right? Yeah. So I coined the, what happened, you know, fast forward, like from 2011, four or five years into it, life is great, making a lot of money, but we dude, we were selling products that I could give a rip about, right? Like yeah. I don't care. I didn't care about saving people's utility bills. Yes, it was helping them. Great. I would never sell something that would harm anybody, but I didn't care about it. I had zero passion for, right. for what we were doing. And I remember so clearly I, I was coming home. It was a Wednesday night after I had Monday, Tuesday events. And uh, as a Wednesday night, I got home late, wife and daughter were already asleep. And I, I just had this feeling of unfulfillment within me. It was just like, I just like hated what I did. And I sat down at my kitchen table and just was like contemplating life. Like what, what am I here for? And I, I thought back to the early days of when I was originally starting out in sales, right? Whether it be the nutritional supplements and how to figure out how to get leads or uh, door to door with siding and windows, like one of the worst jobs on the planet, but one of the best jobs, that, one of the, one of the uh, most unique jobs that I learned the most out of sales and just how human beings interact and, and, and make decisions. So I would never take it back. But I just thought back to those days of what life was like, the feast and famine lifestyle of that of a salesman or an entrepreneur. And I thought, man, there are so many entrepreneurs out there that have a passion for their product, that have a passion for whatever their service is, but they just don't know how to bring it to the masses. They just don't know how to sell it. Right. And I thought maybe, maybe the system here is the product. Could I actually teach people how to do this that have a passion for their product? Cause I knew my passion was people. I've always known that I love to be able to pour into people and, and build relationships, expand their visions and I, I just started to write. I grabbed pen and paper and I just, I just started to write everything that we do on how we, how we start a marketing campaign from identifying our true client avatar to uh, creating a message that, that speaks to them to understanding like what do you really sell? Like if you sell a, I mean, just a, the common example of, you know, people don't buy a drill because they want the drill. They want, they want a hole. But we take right. it so much deeper in the fact they don't want a hole. They want the hole so they can hang the picture. And they don't want the picture because what's a picture do? They want the picture hung so that the way that they feel within, right. you know, when somebody comes into their home, the pride that they get or the warmth that, that it just exuberates within their home. So right. we, we get to such, so deep into this and the benefits of the benefits to how to negotiate pricing. We do a lot of dinner seminar events. So how to negotiate pricing with our venues, how to set up the room, how to deliver the presentation, scripting to use on how to, you know, take our RSVP calls. I just laid it all out. And it, it was like, could this be the product? And that was really the birth this Wednesday night of, of what we now call social dynamic selling. And, and the reason why I coined it that, because most people, it, it kind of confuses them a little bit. And I, and I, I like it um, because 
most people think social, like, is it social media or what is this social selling thing? And at the end of the day, it's, it's selling in groups because with any, with any social setting, a group setting, there's a dynamic that's happening within there, right? Whether if right. you go to church, you've got your, the pastor, you've got the ushers, the greeters, uh, the rest of the congregation, there's a dynamic that's happening in that room, right? During worship service or whatever, or if you go to a bar and you've got the, the bouncer up front or the bartender and you got the drunk patrons over here, the, the girls over here, you know, whatever right. it is, there's a dynamic that's happening there. And we, we've figured out how to use that in a sales setting, right? Which, which they, it's more of an educational setting, but we were able to use language and in certain techniques or tactics that we've learned on how to create an environment in which people just want to buy. If you have a tough crowd, right? And, and let's say in the world of, let's say real estate agents, right? Okay. If, if you're working for a real estate agent and they wanna know how to convince their clients, right? To use them. Do you have a technique that you would say for a tougher crowd? Sure. So first off, we want continuity with everything here. So I'm gonna start with, the messaging that we're speaking to them. How do I get them to show up? Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's before you, you know, here are the top five things you need to know before you pick your real estate agent, right? It's something, get them curious, right? right. Curiosity is, is going to cause them to pick up that phone and RSVP and, and all the copy we would, you know, write out for that. So they know what they're coming out to. And once they're at the event, you know, how to, how to greet them. We're building rapport throughout the entire process Certainly, some of it's going to be dependent upon the size of the room, that what we're, what, what we're looking to accomplish there. But maybe just a, a simple technique that I'll use that we've all been, what do I want to, we've all been a part of this before. It's been used on us before, I guarantee it. And, and I'll give an example here. Do you remember? So an example would be called anchoring. And what I mean by that is if I'm in a group or go back to when you were in third grade and when you come in for recess and everybody's running around, it's wild and crazy. And your teacher's trying to get you all to shut up, right? Like just let's get an order here. She would always go over to maybe a, a place in the room, maybe the corner of her desk. And she would go, listen up kids. All right, settle down, listen up. Right. And then she'd go on to whatever the next lesson was or whatever. And if at any point during that next lesson, the kids started to get rowdy again, all she would have to do is go back to that spot that she already anchored in which she was, you know, clapping and telling them to listen up. She would just have to slowly walk over there, stand still, and the class is going to naturally know because subconsciously they know they need to listen up here because teacher's serious, right, mm -hmm. without having to do the other body language. So um, that's a, a prime example when you're dealing with a group of people on how to be able to actually control the room. Does that Got work it. for you? Yeah, that definitely works. And that got me thinking, how many times have I been anchored? Right? <laughs> I mean, it could be in anything. When your daughter goes over to the fridge, you know, oh, that means they right? want. Like, Absolutely. that's what I'm thinking. So, yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. It's a really <laughs> good one. Okay, and so you were saying social dynamic selling now. You've used this. You've developed the framework. Can you, for anybody who's, you know, thinking, okay, well, what does that framework look like? Do you have a three-step process or a four-step process or... How, how does it work for you? Yeah, it's, it's really, we broke it up into six main steps or modules, we call them. And I wanted to, again, I thought back to the days of like, all right, I had 673 bucks in my bank account. I didn't, I didn't have money to really pay somebody to do this for me, right? So I wanted to be able to make sure they had the ability to learn how to do this. If there's a hope or a vision, you either got time or you got money. And if you've got time, I still wanted to make it, available to people. So I wrote a book called Food for Thought, How to Use Dinner Seminar Marketing to Grow Your Business in Ways You Never Thought Possible, um, in which I lay out these six basic steps from building your, your marketing foundation to you know, identifying your, your true client avatar to uh, crafting your invitation. We do a ton of direct mail. I mean, it's not, we do a lot of online stuff too, but we do a lot of direct mail still. It's, it, it's the highest ROI that we get on, on, on our investment into actually marketing dollars. And is this goal, so is the goal to get somebody in the door for the live event or is it to get them in the door and close them within the six steps? So each step has one goal, right? So the invitation, for example, I got one goal and that's for, to get them to RSVP, okay? It, it, and then I have a confirmation call. I have one goal and that's to get them to actually show up. Mm. 
Okay. And there's, there's certain tricks that we can use that we, most of our events have over a 90% show up, right? Those that RSVP, usually 90% will show, you know, short of a, you know, a hurricane coming through or a tornado warning, you know, but weather, weather dependent, we get a, such a high show up rate. They're at the event. Now you have a presentation. Your only goal there is to get a follow-up appointment, hmm. right? So if, if we rush, if we try to rush to the sale, you, you can't do that. It'd be like saying you go on a blind date, you know, maybe it's, it's a little different nowadays, I guess. But when we used to go back dating, if you go on the blind date, you're not going to start out with, Hey, you know, I'm going to buy dinner and stuff here, but you know, I'm going to ask for sex at the end of it. Right. Yeah. They're going to go get out of here. Right. You got to go through the, the, it's a natural progression in, in a dating process, just like there is in the, the sales process. So we do the presentation, we get the appointment and then the appointment, once you're one-on-one, that's where you can actually get the sale. And then after the sale, it's obviously to not get a cancellation, right? So right. There's, there's basic steps that we want to go through to create, because I believe every buying decision is an emotional decision, but it needs to be backed by logic, Got right? It. Because you can get, one of the things that we are not, and I want to be clear is we, I'm not the guy that's rah, 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 rush to the back of the room, get your $48 real estate course that you're never going to freaking open or do anything with. That's not us. We are all about no like and trust. Hmm. Okay. If, if I can get them to know me and like me in an hour, hour and a half presentation, I've gained their trust because I've been positioned as that authoritative figure. I'm, I'm nice enough. I'm, uh, you know, likable enough where they're like, you know what, this guy is, he's a good dude. Let's see what this, the next step is or what, how much, let's see how much this is going to cost. Right. And then I can sit down with them one-on-one to actually close the deal. Got it. And so walk us through now. I just wanted to know what was the goal. Walk us through, if you could, just briefly, what are those six stages? Okay. So uh, building out your marketing foundation. Okay. Um, and then we're going to be crafting the actual invitation, uh, identifying like what it is that you really sell. Okay. okay. So that's where I was talking about the benefits of the benefits and then crafting the actual invitation. And then once they're at the event, so there's key components in each one of these here, but once they're at the event, it's actually delivering the presentation, okay. right? And that's where we're going to talk about how to set the room up, what time to serve dinner, do you do dessert, everything from the, the we call it essentially like, you're, it's your, you're the ringleader, like your circus is happening and you are the ringleader here. So we need to have you be in control of the, you know, how to control the room. And then the actual appointment when you're one-on-one with them and then always the follow-up we call following up and, and following through to prevent cancellations and, and just because somebody comes to an event and they don't give you an appointment doesn't mean that they're not a potential client down the road right there could just right. be times that it's just bad timing for them or whatever the case is so you know having a proper crm program in place um, to continually follow up and, and work those leads is, is just as crucial as generating the lead itself Got it. And for anybody that's not aware, what is a CRM? It, it, so if, you, if you're in sales, you, you've got to have a program, like a, a tool that you're going to be, so like uh, salesforce.com, right? So uh, a tool that is, allows you to keep customer notes. And the whole point of it is to retain that information and, and be able to have a, you know, if you're getting, if you're getting, if you're on an email list, that, that person has a, a CRM in place, right? Where they know every time you click on that link, and anytime, you know, you've gone to their webpage after the fact, it's just, it's, it's collecting data, right? I love, I love data. I don't love trying to figure it out. I love looking at the results of certain things right. uh, and, and how to tweak different things. Like if I say this, what happens here? If I say this, then what happens? And that's so important through any sales process, uh, whether you're doing, you know, live seminars or webinars, or you have an online funnel or, or whatever it is, you need to have that data in place. I agree. And in, CRM, customer relationship management. For most people in sales, I would agree that they probably know, at least, you know, Salesforce or something like that. That's been great. So has there been a book or a blog or anything like when you look for mentorship, when you look to advance your knowledge, your insight, you know, especially over these last five years, when you've had to really try to scale because you had the right system in place. But we know that what got you there a lot of the times won't take you to the next level. And so what what's been that turning thing for you that you've helped to always level up your mindset? Yeah, one of the a big book in my life at when I was like, probably 19 or 20, it was called The Science of Success. Hmm. And it's by James Arthur Ray. And uh, there's some great components in that book. And he was, he was a part of like the secret, you know, Jack Canfield and things like that, where it was like, just what you think about, you bring about, 
right? Like that's just, your mindset is the most important thing. And if you can continually fuel yourself with good content, like, like that book, The Science of Success. Now, he, I think he's a little kooky in some of the things that he talks about, but I at least love the principles of yeah. what he was referring to. Um, and James Arthur Ray, I actually just searched, tried to find that book online again. It looks like they've kind of redone it with, with certain different tools and components to it. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to actually go, going through it again. Yeah, we definitely will link that in the show notes. But yeah, that's one that I haven't heard anyone mention before. And I'm, I'm a right big, I, I'll tell people all the time, I am an avid reader, but really I'm an avid listener because I have been one of the biggest clients for Audible for Same many here, years now because I'm <laughs> always going so fast. So, but you got to keep the education. I appreciate you saying that. Now, man, this has been a phenomenal interview and I appreciate you coming on and dropping so much value. There's somebody out there right now that is very inspired and they love your journey. They love where you are now and they would love to be able to blaze their own path like you've done, but they have that little voice in their head and that little voice maybe tells them that they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you would say to them to get them to just take action? You know, I've been in many situations and, and, my life where I've thought that and you, you hit it right there. Taking action with action comes clarity. Like just sitting back thinking like what happens if this, or what happens if that, what happens if this, nothing gets done, right? That's nothing gets done. If you, if you're continually organizing your desk, if you're not doing uh, money, like money promoting activities, if you're not driving tra traffic or leads to your business, nothing's going to get done. Right? right. If you're trying to, figure out how to get outside capital, just go sell something. Like I, there's nothing I hate more than that. And I'm like, well, how can I get my business going? I need money. Like, no, you don't. You can figure it out. There's plenty of people that have figured it out that have had zero money. Some of the most successful people in the world started out with nothing. And I think it is just knowing that, taking action. And if you don't, if you don't believe it, you got to surround yourself with the right people that do. And, mm -hmm. and look, reading those books like Science of Success, seeking out a mentor, finding a no, I didn't have a mentor or anything until I was 27, right? And I actually, I, I made a decent amount of money at that point. And then I, that's when I was like coasting and I realized I got to get my crap together, right? It was like, I got to figure this back out. And the, the best thing I've ever done was hire a coach. And, mm -hmm. and I have a business coach and a life, a personal coach uh, right now that I would, I'm never not going to have that because having that accountability is is a well worth an investment 10 times of what i i pay for them right now i hope they don't ever hear this um, <laughs> but it's well worth the investment that i pay to have somebody you know have that accountability and i really encourage it, that person not to be your spouse right as much as you want you know if you work together that's great but you do need an outside source that's not vested necessarily they're vested in you but they're not going to give you that personal opinion that you may may want to hear or may not want to hear as well Got it. I love it, man. I think that that's very key as well. You need different perspectives and having people that are not going to be your yes man or yes woman exactly. that's going to challenge you on not only your beliefs, right? And, and not to say spiritual or things like that, but why you're doing certain things. Because sometimes, you know, the temptation of whatever could make, we know why we got into business in the beginning, why we decided to sell this product, this dream, this service, whatever it is. But sometimes through, you know, other distractions or other pain points, we can lose sight of that value. And so having someone that, you know, again, is going to challenge you to say, why are you doing this? Have you thought about the, impl the implications of what could happen on the backside if this doesn't work? I think that those are all the things that make us have a holistic and sustainable business. So I think that's a great, great point that what you brought up as well. Man, it's, it's been a phenomenal call. Talk to me about if people want to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? Probably the easiest is just a website. It's my first and last name, RileyMeek.com. Riley spelled a little differently. It's R-Y-L-E-E -E, and then Meek, M-E-E-K.com. There's, I mean, I think you can, uh, on that site, we've got some resources. You can download like our, our dinner seminar blueprint. But if it's all right, dude, I, I actually had my team prior to this this morning. I said, throw up, throw up a link for this, for the Dream Nation group. If anybody wants to get a, a copy of Food for Thought, you can certainly buy it. It's on Amazon. It's an Amazon bestseller. 
Now it'll be a digital copy, but I'm willing to, to give it for free out to any of your listeners, man, if they go to socialdynamicselling.com forward slash dream nation. Love um, it, man. Email, you do have to enter your email and then we will email you the full PDF version of the book Food for Thought. Sounds great. And we will make sure that we have those links in the show notes um, for both Riley Meek as well as Social Dynamic Selling. It's been a fun one, man. I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure there's so much value that people are going to get out of this and people will understand the value and making sure that they, one, are present, but two, that they can scale their business if they have the right framework and looking at what's already working and how can you then help other people do the same thing, which I think is what I've heard a lot from you and I'm proud of you and and pleasure to have you on here, man. Remember, Absolutely. Dream Nation, in the dream we trust, but you must take action, as he said, or otherwise it will only merely be a fantasy. We'll see you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me, and hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.